Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. We're going to the book of Matthew, chapter 28, and we'll begin with verse 18 and read down through verse 20, verse 18 down through verse 20. Amen. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Everybody say, teach all nations. We're going to be focusing on that tonight. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even in the end of the world. Amen. We're going to talk about the responsibility of discipleship. The responsibility of discipleship. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you, God, for your word. Bless it to our hearts. For there is truth. Your word is truth, O God. I'm asking tonight, Lord, that you would speak to us and through us as we learn more about you and what is required of us. In Jesus' mighty name, let everybody say amen. Amen. God bless you. You Be seated. What's the last thing you say when you leave family? What's the last thing? Last words. Now, if you're mad, um, don't don't respond. I love you. I love you. See you later. Look, can't wait till next time. The last thing that you say to somebody leaves a lasting impression. It's very important. And these are some of the last things the Lord is saying to his disciples. And so it is very uh, important. Everything that he says is important, but this is very important because he wants to make sure that they understand what they need to be doing. And so he says to them, I have all power in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. I have the power to help you. Go the, therefore and teach all nations. And uh, uh, I want to break this down just a little bit, this verse down. Let's break it down in the structure of the language and the, the tense and the verbs and, and all that kind of cool stuff. How many used to like to diag- diagram sentences? Diagram. I see three hands. How many of you besides me hated it? <laughs> I did not like diagramming. It's interesting to me. Uh, my... my <laughs> my my least favorite subject, and perhaps you see this sometimes, but uh, my least favorite subject was English. I hated English. And so the Lord put me in a calling that I have to use my English all the time. <laughs> and, and so uh, forgive me if I mess up King James and Uncle James and Elder James and who other Jameses. <clears throat> But the word go here in this verse, when he says go, is not a verb. It's interesting. It's not a verb. But it is a a participle that is connected to the subject. And baptizing is the other nominative part. 
and is modified by the prepositional phrase in the name. In the name is connected to baptism. So that's important. How many of you know that the uh, uh, apostles did what Jesus said to do? Acts chapter 2. If you, if you look at this particular text, and let me just sidebar just for a minute. When you look at this particular text, the, the concept is, is when you go into baptism, you baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. The question is, for every uh, English dissector of sentences, sorry, diagrammer of sentences, is that you've got to ask the question, what's the name? The name, okay, what is the father's name? What is the son's name? Peter fulfilled that in Acts chapter 2 when he said that we are to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Everywhere in the book of Acts that they were baptized, that it is given what was said, is always in the name of the Lord. There's not one place in the book of Acts that they ever baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. It's just not there. Now, if a person jumped onto this planet off of Mars and you would ask them, read the Bible and tell us how to be baptized, they would just simply have to look at the facts and say, okay, according to what Jesus said, Peter fulfilled what Jesus said. He didn't do something contrary. He fulfilled that. Amen. That's not even in my notes, but boy, I sure did want to run down that a little bit. The verb in this text is the verb teach all nations. It is the important aspect. If you break down the sentence, going is important, but that's not the most important thing that Jesus is, uh, is, is, is stating here. Baptizing is essential and very important. But what he was saying is that the important thing they all hinge on is making disciples. Making disciples. Every disciple is to make a disciple. Every disciple is to make a disciple. The word disciple in the Greek here, uh, as we learn from Mr. Vines, is from a root math word indicating thought accompanied by endeavor. It's actually where we get the English word mathematics. From this Greek word, we get mathematics. So the word describes a person who learns from another by instruction, whether formal or informal, and discipleship includes the idea of one who intentionally learns by inquiry by, and by observation. By inquiry or instruction. That's what a disciple is. A disciple describes someone who is a, a, a learner and a teacher. You see, we're not just to be one that is always taught, but we're also to be teachers. The Hebrew word equivalent for the disciple here is the word Talmud. Talmud. Or the plural Talmudin. Both the Greek and the Hebrew word for disciple can be summed up in the word student. Student. Talmudin means that someone who wants to be like his teacher, or in our case, be like Jesus Christ. Let me break down the Jewish education system for you just for a little bit. There, it begins with uh, Bet Sefer for Jews living in Jesus' day, 
there were three separate educational venues. The first was called Bet Sefer. At the ages of 6 through 12, Jewish children began their formal education. Both boys and girls attended synagogue school and learned to read and write. The textbook was the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And the goal was not just to read, but they made them memorize the text. Can you imagine what it had been like? Little, little Johnny, you know, coming in here from age 6 to age 12, and they're learning how to read and write and memorize based on the Word of God. Well, that makes some folks really upset today, wouldn't it? As a child of six, you would go to the synagogue and the most respected man in the city would greet you with a slate. The most respected man in the city would greet you with a slate and then he would plop honey on their slate. And then he would remove the ancient scroll of the Torah and as you sat there watching this, here's the most respected man in the city who's about to give you some great words of wisdom. And they would sit there as a child, speechless as an awe, and the rabbi would cause them to taste the honey that was on their slate and tell them the Torah is sweeter than the honeycomb. The Bible is sweeter than the honeycomb. That left a lasting impression upon their, their mind. Can you imagine the impact on a child as he's sitting there and takes his finger and touches that? And, it's, and, the, and the most respected person who would be the rabbi would say, the word of God is sweeter than that. The word of God is sweeter than that. Now, at the conclusion of Bet Sefer, uh, a boy would have a bar mitzvah, and he'd be welcomed into a community as a full-fledged male member. Following this sacred milestone, usually the boy then began to learn the family trade. But only the best and the brightest would move into the next phase of education. If you were a girl, you were just on the outs. You could not go to what was known as the Bet Midrash. Bet Midrash. For the best of the best, the next education opportunity was called Bet Minrush. And boys ages 13 and 15 who were deemed worthy to continue their educational pursuits went on to study and memorize, memorize the entire Hebrew Bible. Not only did they that, they learned a family trade. It is noteworthy. That few, if any, of Jesus' disciples made it this far in their education. Most of them only got to age 12 and then went to work. The third level of teaching a student was Bet Talmud. And for those who finished the second level, Bet Midrash, again, only the best uh, were able to pursue the next leg of education, Bet Talmud. This was the longest in duration because it went from the age of 15 to the age of 30 to participate. We find that he must be this, you have to be personally invited by a rabbi, and if selected, you begin the process of grooming that would lead that individual to become a rabbi, potentially a rabbi himself, at the age of 30. 15 years. Wow. Those who were chose, 
chosen referred to as Talmudin. Talmudin. They would literally follow the dust of their rabbi, desiring to emulate him in all of his mannerism. They would eat the same food in exactly the same way as their rabbi. They would go to sleep and wake at the same time as their rabbi. More importantly, they would learn to study the word of God and understand that God, what God was, exactly as their rabbi taught them. This appears that Jesus himself followed this model At 12, we know that he attended his first Passover in Jerusalem and he did not begin his ministry until he was 30 years old. The Bible is silent about his training or mentors, but we do know that he selected his disciples and just like the young 15-year-olds, when invited to Bet Talmud, they left everything to follow after his this rabbi of Galilee. So Jesus, at 30 years old, became old enough in the eyes of everybody around him to be a rabbi. And so when he walked up to the disciples and says, Follow me. What was he saying? He was saying, I choose you. I choose you to follow me. Walk in my feet. Walk in my footsteps. Begin to learn what I'm teaching. Begin to work with me. No doubt they wanted to walk in his dust. They wanted to be just like their rabbi. After all, they were his Talmudin. History and the word revealed to us that Jesus trained his Talmudin not for 15 years, but three years. Three years. And his training was so inspiring that his Talmudin, his disciples, literally changed the world. That they became known as uh, 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 those that were of the way are Christians. Why were they known as Christians? Because they were like Jesus. Matter of fact, the, uh, the, the council said we took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. What were they doing? They were acting like Jesus. They had manner missions like Jesus. They walked like Jesus. They talked like Jesus because they were not selected to be a part of the high training as boys. They were passed over. Maybe they weren't elite or considered perfect. Aren't you glad, brothers and sisters, that the Lord can look at some of us and say, I know you're dumb as a bag of rocks, but I choose you. I pick you. I'm going to train you. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to give you what you need, and I want you to walk with me and after me. Amen. I I believe it is time for the church to reclaim the concept of discipleship, raise the bar of expectation that we're going to pursue our rabbi, Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and Savior, but he is also our teacher. He's our teacher. So where do we start? We start by learning to be a follower. Somebody say follower. We learn by listening and studying. A disciple is constantly learning and growing. The the day we stop learning and growing, please hear me, the day we stop learning and growing is the day we cease to be a disciple. We're learning and growing all along the way. Amen. When my mom and dad came into uh, the apostolic doctrine, their church had a test. The preacher would teach on Wednesday night, 
And then when they got through with the series, they had tests. Is that a good idea? <clears throat> How many of us, though, just simply say, you know what, I want to learn about him. I'm not here to just come and, and pass my time. I don't want to just be a, 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 a first-level or second-level disciple. I want to move to the Talmudine. I want to move to that level where I'm walking in his dust. I'm walking in his shadow. I want to know him. Amen. Praise God. Look at Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. The disciple is not above his master. Look at this. But everyone that is perfect or fully trained and grown up shall be as his master. The disciple is not above his master. It's not that we're trying to surpass Jesus or equal Jesus. It's that we're just simply wanting to be like Jesus. Because he's got the words of life. Amen. After some time, there were those that left Jesus, and he looked at his disciples and said, will you leave me too? He looked at his Talmudine, those that were following in his dusty footprints, and said, will you leave me too? And he said, Peter said, you have the words of life. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? So in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34 it's another direction about what it means to be a disciple. Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words and in this adulterous sinful generation of him also shall the, shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. What is Jesus saying? He's saying there is a commitment to being a Talmudine. There is a commitment to, to being a, 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 a disciple. I, I'm really excited that next week we are going to be looking at the stages of discipleship uh, uh, in the Word of God and showing that there is a growth pattern that God wants us to be on as disciples. We want to grow, don't we? Let me show you something also that really excites me is that we already said that girls were out of the Talmudine uh, uh, training. That matter of fact, they could only go to the first stage of training according to Jewish custom. But I want to show you a passage of scripture that excites me for the sisters. Luke chapter 10 and verse 39. Luke chapter 10 and verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet. And heard his word. Get the picture? Here's a lady sitting at the feet of the rabbi. Hearing the teaching of the rabbi. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. And came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. That sounds like a good idea. You need to get up and help her. 
And Jesus answered her, though, and said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus as a disciple and not rebuked for it. A woman was not supposed to do that. That's why Martha's a little upset. Mary is, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Amen. But, but the Bible says Jesus said she had chosen the good part. Jesus breaks the tradition and allows a lady to learn at his feet. Mary wasn't an apostle, but she was a disciple. Let me say that again. Because some of y'all get that maybe between now and the time it gets to the back of the church. Mary was not an apostle, but she was a disciple. She was sitting at his feet and learning. Every child of God, man and woman, has the opportunity to sit at the feet of the Lord and learn of him in prayer, in study the word, in seeking God. Not just at church, that's what we come to. We come here to learn about Jesus, but it is also in our own life. Lord, show me the way. Lord, lead me in the paths of righteousness. It's not an exclusive gender club. I thought I got three shouts. I had two amens from men. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Let me show you. Uh, maybe that wasn't enough for you. So let me show you another place. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 36, the Bible says, And there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha. A certain disciple named Tabitha. It is interesting that this is a feminine version of the Greek word for what we saw as disciple from the very beginning. It applied to Tabitha here from Joppa. There was a lady disciple, somebody that's sitting at his feet, learning of him, learning of him, taking in what he is saying, taking what, what the apostles are teaching. Amen. So the Hebrew word for disciple is Talmud. The plural word is Talmudin, and it means someone who wants to be like his teacher. Is there anybody here that would like to be a part of a Talmudin, a, a plural group of people that said, we want to be like Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. Amen. We want to be like Jesus. Well, that's not the end of the responsibility of the disciple. A disciple is to sit at the feet of Jesus, and learn of him, learn about him, is to be trained and taught. But let me show you the concept that continues in discipleship. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. All right. But thou therefore, my son, be strong in... In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now notice this. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. What Paul is saying to Timothy is that I want you to continue the discipleship 
making process. It's not enough that I just sit at the feet of the Lord and constantly learn. It is my responsibility that I take what I've heard, what I have received, not only what I have received from one individual, but but from those that have uh, taught it with witnesses around, and now I'm going to go find somebody to teach so that then they can teach somebody else. That's how it continues. Discipleship. Everybody says, be strong. If you want to be a discipleship maker, you're going to have to have the power of the Holy Ghost. The word strong here is the same word, dunamis, that in Acts 1 and 8, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The word and the phrase, be strong, is a present tense imperative mood and passive mode, which means Paul is not giving a suggestion. He is giving a command. He is calling Timothy to continually be strengthened by the grace of God so that he can teach others. He has taught. Now he's going to teach others. And, and then he's, they're going to go and teach somebody else. You say, but Brother Gil, I can't teach a Bible study. I can't help. But you sure can disciple somebody. You can disciple somebody. You can walk into somebody's life and give them a word of encouragement. And, and they might not even be saved yet. But you're leading them on the path to discipleship. Become a friend to them. Show them the truth. Show them the way of life. Show them how it means to be like Christ. Amen. You don't have to teach a Bible study to be a discipleship maker. But you have to show them what it means to live like Christ. So I'm learning of Christ so that I can show others. Amen. Amen, and maybe have the opportunity to teach somebody else. If you're a parent, you've got a responsibility, disciple your children. If you're a grandparent, you have a responsibility, disciple your children. If you've got anybody in your life that you have any influence over, you have a responsibility because Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, amen, and, and, and teach all nations. Disciple everybody. But that takes being strong in the Lord and in his grace. Paul said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Making disciples is not an easy job. So making dis- How many of you ever try to make your kids behave and you didn't have the words or the knowledge or the training or the teaching to do it and you just want to say, Anybody been there? I don't know what to say. It takes investing. It takes learning. It takes, if you're going to be a discipleship maker in the kingdom of God and you want to win souls and you want to disciple people, it's going to require getting into the book beyond Tuesday night. It's going to require getting into the book beyond Sunday or Sunday afternoon, Sunday morning, Sunday night, whatever time it is. It's going to take getting into it, and especially in this hour where we have so much attack, can I just say reprobate mentalities about the Word? We're going to need to know what does the Word say and live the Word. Can I tell you today, your prayer needs the Word. Your prayer life needs the word. Your thinking life needs the word. Amen. Our acting, let's put it on the word because it's the word that brings faith. Are you having a problem with faith? Get into the word. Read the word. Hallelujah. Just let it come into your heart. What are you doing? I'm becoming a disciple. 
of the word so that I can later on tell somebody about the word. Praise the Lord. The writer of Proverbs says that he that winneth souls is wise. He's wise. So we have to be strong in the Lord. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, some of us would have had 30 thrices, that it might depart from me. And listen to what he said. My grace, the Lord said, is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Pastor, I can't teach anybody. Pastor, I want to, I want to do a Bible study with someone, but I don't think I can. Amen. You might feel like that is a weakness, uh, that winning a soul or working on somebody is a weakness. Maybe you'd just like to, 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 to be friends with somebody. And, and, and you feel like that is a weakness of yours. Well, Paul said, he would give me grace that is sufficient for my weakness. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Mm-mm-mm. Can I tell you, what you hear will be what you believe. What you hear will be what you believe. It will determine our belief system. The Bible teaches us that every word, every testimony is to be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let me just say this. Don't trust any one person only. Don't trust any one person only to teach you the things of Jesus Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But he was also saying, here in this text, repeat what you have heard and that which has been approved of by faithful witnesses. What does the Bible say? In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. In the mouth of two or three witnesses. Our church has been here for going close to, this will be our 105th year, y'all. Our church has been here for 105 years. Think about all those that Hebrews writes about, the great cloud of witnesses that has gone on before us that has attest to the truth that has been preached. Amen. It's not, it's not just that I preach it. I have bishop here. I have others that are scholars here in this church. Amen. That, that is my spirit right. Am I doing, if I'm going to be the the, the one that is used in a teaching ministry. I need to make sure my spirit is right. And then I need some witnesses around me. It's dangerous if you find somebody all by themselves declaring, I know the truth. And they don't have anybody to back them up. Don't get your discipleship from Facebook. Praise God. Don't get your discipleship from offline YouTube or whatever else. You don't know that person's what 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 they are. But what you that's why online will hear me hear me online will never replace in the pew. 
Praise the Lord. Y'all watching? Love every one of you. Forsake not the assemblies yourselves together, not in front of your screen, but in, in your pew, in your seat together. It's important. Why? Because you can test it. I loved it. Sister Gill saw it. I didn't see it, but I, I heard about it. When we first got here, you know, Bishop used to sit over here in, in his chair. And, uh, and when we first got here, we were going through things. I'd be preaching something, and my wife said she'd just watch it. It was just like watching a tennis match. I'd say something, and the church would go, Yeah, like this. Uh, can I tell you, that didn't bother me. Not one bit. I want you to do that. Because I do the same thing. Is that right? Did I say that right? Do you need your mom to get that right? <laughs> if you're going to disciple somebody else, you have to have witnesses. You're on the right path. You're telling the truth. It's being, it's being uh, approved of. Amen. Teaching disciples not some arbitrary process. It has to be an intentional process. Here's what Paul said talking about making sure that, that you have witnesses. He said of himself in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10, But thou hast fully known my doctrine. But it doesn't stop there. My manner of life. My purpose, my faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which come unto me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He said, you know my life. You know my doctrine. You know my purpose. You, know, you, you can't get this by just watching somebody on a TV program. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch YouTube or you shouldn't uh, uh, you know, watch online or something like that. That's, that's all well and good. But it's got to go through the filter of do you know their life? Do you know their doctrine? Amen. Do you know their history? Do you know their, their character? So when it comes to discipleship, when you're taught, it's good to know who's teaching you. It's good to know who's teaching you. Let's go to the, the third point, the cost of discipleship. The cost. <clears throat> Following means forsaking. It's not just that I'm going to follow the Lord. Did anybody besides me just wanted to say, I don't know who Lady Gaga is other than just simply say, you're goofy. She was all upset about what uh, the vice president's wife was going to go work at a school that does not allow uh, same-sex marriage and, and yada, 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 and said the woman's not a real Christian because she uh, is in that uh, particular thing. She said these. She said, I'm a Christian. She's not a real Christian. I wanted to say, Miss Gaga, if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to forsake some things. Mm -mm -mm. Well, hobby horse, I got to get off of. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. He said, Now, as we walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, 
and they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Here's the rabbi saying to these that are going to be the Talmudin, I want you to come after me. I'm going to make you do what I do, fishers of men. And look what happened. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. Their nets were their identity. Their nets were their job. Their nets was, and I'm not telling you just drop your job and go do whatever, but I'm simply saying it showed that they were willing to forsake something to follow. All right? Let's, let's, let's get it a little bit tougher on us, a little bit tougher here. Luke chapter 14 and verse 25. And a great multitude went with him, and he turned and said unto them, Okay, does anybody besides me ever get the impression that Jesus really didn't like big crowds? That he tolerated them? He's got a great multitude following him, and he turns around and he says these words. If any man come after me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yea, and his own life, he cannot be my Talmudin. Can you imagine the impressive? Here he is. He's got all these multitude and people are following him and wanting to say, I'll be your disciple. I'll be your disciple. Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to walk in your dust. And, and he says, if you want to be my disciple and you can't hate father, mother, wife, children, sister, and brothers, and yay, your own self, you cannot be my disciple. Then he went on to say, and whosoever doeth not bear his cross and come after me, Cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sit down not uh, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and when it's not able to finish it. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh after him or with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador and desireth the conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. That's a tough statement, y'all. How would you like it if somebody knocked on your door, maybe a Jehovah's Witness or somebody that's a door knocker, and says to you, if you want to go to our church, you've got to hate mom and dad. Your wife, your brothers, your sisters, and even yourself. Come on. You know what we would probably say? You're out of your head. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. See you later. I'm not going to talk to you. That's a tough statement. That's a hard statement. But what was he saying? He was saying, if you don't put me first, that's what my disciples do. My disciples put me first. Amen. We like our life on the easy and the sunny side up. We like to know the Lord as the wonderful counselor and the prince of peace. We like things convenient and accessible and effortless. And Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? you got to be willing to hang it all up for me. Now, please understand, people will take Jesus completely out of context because he said, if you don't hate yourself, 
It's about a, a passion for what are you going to love? What are you going to put first? He is telling us that there's a cost to discipleship. There is a cost. If you're going to follow after the Lord, there is a price. But I want to tell you, I'll show you at the end that it is worth. Amen. This generation it has been so pampered and petted and coddled and, and bubble wrapped until we, 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 we have an aversion to anything that comes along that cramps our style. But you talk of surrender, you talk of submission, that sounds foreign. But if I'm going to follow Jesus i got to be willing to lay down myself, pick up his cross, and follow him. All right. Let's go to four signs of discipleship. We know that there's a price tag. If you, if you, you begin to follow, we are in Luke uh, chapter 14. You will, you will find that there were multitudes that followed him. And he turned and said to them. Notice Jesus is addressing all these people, a big crowd, and telling everybody, hey, listen, if you're going to follow me, here's what you got to do. Number one, true disciples love Jesus most. Simple. True disciples love Jesus most, Luke 14, 26. It's hard for us to grasp that, but Jesus painted a clear path, a picture of what it meant to be a disciple. Amen. You want to find out what it meant to be a disciple? Go study some of these people that in their country, they are persecuted, harassed, beaten, even in prison for their faith. Amen. Uh, it, it, that's, that's the cost of discipleship. Uh, amen. Jesus is saying here, will you love me most? Will you love me most? Will you love me most? How about your job? Do you love me more than your job? How about your friends? Do you love me more than your friends? How about your family and your hobbies? Do you love me more than that? Do you love me more than your possessions and your positions? Do you love me more than your passions and your buddies? Hallelujah. We find that Jesus asked Simon Peter, he said, lovest thou me more than these? That's what a disciple does. He also said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, that's the truth. That is the truth. You ought to thank the Lord that he's going to supply your every need. Number two, disciples deny self. Disciples deny self. Here's where it gets personal. With mom and dad and brother and sister and job, it's not necessarily personal as much as it is when he says, if you don't bear your cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. He's simply saying, this is personal. Is he Lord of your life? Is he first? Luke 9, 23, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Such an opportunity, but such a cost. We find that Paul put it like this in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I willingly take myself Paul said to the cross, I will take myself and I will deny self. That's a sign of a true disciple. A true, true disciple counts the cost. 
Before building a house, he counts the cost. Before building a tower, he counts the cost. Before taking the king to war, he counts how many he's supposed to be. There is something inside of folks today that needs to say, I'm all in. With Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in. So a true disciple counts the cost and then jumps in. The fourth thing that you know about a disciple is that true disciples are anything but boring and bland. True disciples are anything but boring and bland. Because he continues in that same passage by saying, Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Salt. Amen. Salt is good. It's beautiful. It's handsome. It's excellent. It has great qualities. It looks pretty. It's, it's, got, it's got all that you know, added pizzazz to life. A little salt. A little salt. Salt. But how many of you would like to take your salt? How many salt people do we have in the house? Now, I gotta, I'm going to give you a test. If you're a true salt person, this is the way you do it. Now, how many salt people do we have in the house? Oh, oh my goodness. Hallelujah. Well, he... But salt is worthless if it has no savor. So what is the Lord saying? All of this that I'm asking you to do, everything I'm saying, the cost and the discipleship is worth it because it'll put a flavor in your life. It'll put a, a leap in your step. It'll put a smile on your face. It doesn't make sense. Give up, surrender, submit. It's going to, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Amen. Loving the Lord with all of your heart is supposed to make you happy. Yes, it does. Because then you realize he's the source of my joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He's the source of my peace. He's the source of my health. He's the source of my contentment. He said he'd never leave me or never forsake me. My friends, my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother, my aunt, my cousin. Amen. Three times removed may leave me. But he said he'd never leave me. I may lose my job, but I don't lose him. I might lose fame, but I won't lose him. I may lose money, but I'm not going to lose him. Hallelujah. Let me just say it's worth it because it brings salt to your life. Then he said, if salt has lost its savor, it's worthless. It's flat. It's bland. And it's not even fit for the dunghill. Not even fit for Rumkey. But it's worth it. Being a disciple and taking on the responsibility of constantly improving your walk with God is worth it. Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath. He's all given in, all in, and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeing goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see, when you realize what you get, when you begin to live for the Lord, when you realize, 
Glad I caught that. When you realize the blessings, the peace, and you go through some deep waters in your life, somebody else that doesn't know the Lord is breaking apart and falling apart. But you're standing firm. Doesn't mean it don't hurt. Doesn't mean it's not frustrating. Doesn't mean your trials don't uh, impact you. But it means that I still got some salt. I still got some spice. I still got some blessing. I'm still going to move forward. Stand with me, please. I got, I got, I, I look around and there's some true disciples in the house tonight. You're true disciples. Faithful to the word of God. Faithful to truth. Spice in your life. Amen. I just want to see us take it to the next level and share it with somebody. Share it with somebody. Share it with somebody. God will open the door for you to just take a little salt, put it in there. Put a little salt, a little bit of, of joy, a little bit of strength. Amen. Praise be to God. God is able. Let's love him right now in this place. Hallelujah. It is worth it. Being in your presence is worth it. One touch of your hand is worth it. One touch of your hand is worth it. Glory be to God. It's worth it. Thank you, Jesus, in this house. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Lord, we magnify you today. Praise be to God. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord willing, next week, we're going to be talking about the different stages of discipleship. And you, you might find yourself in some of this, but you also can see that the Lord has a way. He wants us to constantly move forward. And we need to learn how to take people, new converts, how do we take them forward in discipleship. And that's our goal starting next week. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com. Set